This is Lou Elizondo, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and I am joined today on the podcast by my guest, obviously. He is an internationally known speaker, award-winning journalist, and best-selling author of over 60 books, including the one we're going to talk about today, which is Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith. Are we alone in the universe with God and the angels? Uh, my guest earned a BA in Religious Studies at Yale University and an MA and PhD in Historical Theology at Emory University. Now retired, he is serving as a professor on the faculties of several universities and colleges and as a member of the National Advisory Council of the US Conference of Catholic Bishops. My goodness, what an intro. Uh, Dr. Paul Thigpen. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Andy, what a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's great to have you on, and I was very aware of the dying embers of the cold I've had now for what seems like 12 years um, as I read through that. So hopefully it came across okay, folks. Um, very much happy to have Paul on, someone I've been trying to get on for the last couple of months now. Uh, and I think the timing, Paul, has worked out really well. Uh, as we'll get to, you've you've mis- recently made an appearance at the Sol Foundation's first hopefully annual conference, along with some huge names in the UFO conversation and some soon-to-be huge names in the UFO conversation as well. Um, But I want to take things back, Paul, right to the start. Uh, And in your bio, and guests like to send over bios for themselves and say, here's here's some stuff that um, I've done as part of my career. I loved how yours finished with saying that you've had an interest in the UFO topic since you were a child, because it's always how I love to start interviews. So can we start there and go back to your very earliest memories of the UFO topic? Sure. I uh, I was in elementary school in the early 60s and uh, not even sure how the interest began, but um, when especially talk about Project Blue Book came out, um, other kinds of things, I, I read, you know, whatever capacity I could. Um, I <clears throat> had a couple of dreams that may have been influenced by sci-fi movies, although I don't know how many of those were around. Um, in fact, it was kind of a recurring dream that uh, it was almost like the, uh, the initial scenario of an abduction, but it would stop right <clears throat> after uh, I'd be lying in bed, I, which, you know, my regular bed and my, my brother was in a double bed with me. And uh, I'm lying there. There's a big window by the bed. And all of a sudden, this kind of blue-green light would come down from the sky through the window and hit me and freeze me. I couldn't move. Uh, my brother remained asleep. And then the, the, the dream would always end there. So my guess is, you know, by that time, <clears throat> excuse me, it's probably early 60s sometime. Um, maybe I'd seen some movies with that kind of thing, and that's why. <clears throat> but it certainly helped to encourage my interest. Um, the other thing is that when I was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a teenager, I would have been, see, senior of high school, so I would have been 17 with a couple of buddies. I'm, I grew up in Savannah, Georgia. That's uh, where I was born. And um, they have a islands on the coast there, Tybee Islands, the, the nearest to Savannah has the beaches. One evening in the summer, walking along with them on the beach. And all of a sudden we looked up and there were two huge, what were to us, unidentified anomalous uh, figures. <clears throat> they didn't look so much like craft. They looked almost like what we might describe as a circular plasma. Two of them that were white, but with red and green lights inside of them. And to this day, they could have been, there may be some prosaic explanation for that. I don't know. But uh, we got scared, jumped in the car, drove back to my home about eight miles away. It seemed to follow us in the sky, maybe not. Um, 
disappeared. But all these things, I'm just saying, what, whatever they actually were, uh, certainly continue to increase my interest. And I've never, never um, lost it. I, yeah. Which is wonderful. And I wonder, was there any, how intense was your religious or your religion or your faith when you were a child? And, and did those kind of counteract each other at all? Well, yeah, I was uh, I was raised in a Presbyterian family, and um, interestingly enough, though, at the age of twelve, uh, one of my teachers introduced me to Voltaire, the French Enlightenment skeptic philosopher, and uh, some other folks like that. Reading those books, I lost my faith and was an atheist from the age of twelve to eighteen. So during that time, um, my faith wasn't really re- interacting with it much. As a child, it was just kind of where does that all fit? Um, after I uh, returned to faith at the age of 18, it's a whole other story to itself. Um, then, of course, the question was always there, if these things are real, how do they fit into my faith? And well, that's really the reason I wrote the book. Um, many years later, I became a Catholic convert, uh, came to the, into the Catholic Church, and discovered there a whole lot more resources, history, tradition about these kinds of things that could help me to try to put it all in place. So that's really, I wrote the book, and I'm coming from a, a particular tradition. I know there's some, you know, religious scholars who say I, I can't buy into any particular story or tradition, um, and uh, I'm not convinced of any particular thing. But I did come from from atheism and into this faith, and eventually to the the Catholic faith. So I do do write and think from within that frame. I know some folks who say they'll, or if you look what they do, they'll um, maybe religious studies scholars they'll seem like they interpret their faith, Christian, Catholic, Catholic, Christian, in terms of UAP studies, but I tend to do the other. For me, the primary is the Catholic faith, and I, so I look at UAP studies through the lens of my Catholic faith. That's interesting. And I was going to ask as well, your family, obviously they were religious. What, if any, views did they have on the UFO topic? As I recall, they didn't think about it much. And it's not something we talked about much. And I wrote a paper in maybe sixth grade or something. I'd, I've been reading maybe Kenneth Arnold stuff or something. I don't know. I wrote a paper yeah. about it. Um, and I may have mentioned it then, but I, I just, uh, they were hardworking folks. We had a little family business and uh, would come home exhausted every night, maybe watch some TV. And, and I don't think, like, like a lot of folks, it seemed like an exotic topic, I think, to them. And they probably just didn't have time to think about such things because they were worried about how are they going to put food on the table, you know, pay the bills. Yeah, you're going back, you mentioned the 60s, 70s. There's no social media. People got their news from the newspapers, which was a day old, and the radio and the TV. And things are very much regionalized still, I think, back then, weren't mm-hmm. they? That you didn't have this international stage where everyone knows everything that's happening hundreds or thousands of miles away within seconds. Do you think if you mentioned, for example, the dreams you had back then to them, they would have just been dismissed as just silly dreams, which I'm not saying they weren't dreams, but, you know, would, would they have entertained the conversation at all or was it just silly alien talk, you know? I mean, well, even even I myself at that point didn't think anything had really happened. It's just I would wake up. Uh, as I recall, um, you know, I say I may have seen some kind of sci-fi movie or something that had an abduction. I don't know how many would have already been out by that time. We're talking about the early 60s. But um, as I recall, I'd... I didn't even make any kind of connection to alien abduction for a while. It just happened. I kept thinking, why is or the dream kept happening? Why is this dream happening? So consciously for me, at least, I'd, I don't think I you know, made any, any connection to it until maybe, a, well, after Betty and Barney Hill's story came out 
And then other stories started coming out. And I would read those and began to think, wow, that sounds a lot like my dream. But I was never convinced that it actually anything actually happened to me. Um, just kind of piqued my interest and somehow got into my mind. Let's get to the point from that that childhood till you wrote the book did you ever have any sightings or experiences yourself of any kind only the thing when i was in high school that i mentioned um right and you know people you know these days we're talking a lot about paranormal things connected and i certainly did have paranormal experiences uh but not really connected you know to that i've also written books uh, from the catholic viewpoint about a demon's demonology that kind of thing had some experiences that's part of what happened to me to bring me back into the faith, things that I couldn't explain otherwise. So um, so I certainly have thought about related topics, but um, this one I sat on. I started doing research maybe 20 years ago, thinking I would write the book, but always, you know, written a bunch of books. There was always some other book that was more pressing, would write that. And it wasn't until um, the, the piece in 2019 in the New York Times, somehow I missed the one in 2017, I'm not sure how, but... Um, I saw that and I said, okay, this is the time to write the book I've always wanted to write. Um, my publisher was a close friend. We were um, at an editorial retreat. I was, I've been a professional editor too. Uh, on the beach at, uh, at Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And we're walking out on the beach at night and see some kind of light in the sky. And I just said, you know, you're going to think I need a tinfoil hat, but I've always wanted to write a book about uh, extraterrestrial intelligence and the Christian faith. And he said, write it, I'll publish it. So that gave me encouragement because otherwise I might have had a hard time finding a publisher. And um, But it took a couple of years to write it. You know, when you mention paranormal experiences and how they're, they're not necessarily related to the UFO topic, I think more and more people are bringing themselves around to potentially there is a connection, a relationship there between the, the paranormal is just the normal that isn't you know discovered yet as such or things we don't quite yet understand. Do you think there's anything to that? You know, when we talk about the paranormal, what, what is the paranormal to you? Well, yeah, I mean, there are, there, there's paranormal and there's paranormal. So it means literally, you know, aside the normal. It's kind of just outside on the uh, on the perimeter of the normal. Um, so there's certain things that uh, at least the secular world would call paranormal that as a Christian, I've you know believed all along. So uh, encounters with demonic powers, even perhaps angelic you know, good angel kind of experiences. Um, I was once part of, I was Pentecostal for a while before I was Catholic and I was in a parish that, uh, a church that um, was firmly convinced and I am that it can happen that God gives gifts to people that are beyond, um, you know, kind of the normal stuff that we have. And of course, the Catholics would affirm that too. There are a lot of saints with all kinds of things that we would now call paranormal, that God can give those gifts and, um, so they're beyond our nature, but still not not the kind of woo <laughs> that some people would think. That it's kind of like, so for someone like Padre Pio, St. Pio Pietrocino, who uh, his lifetime overlapped my own Italian mystic, um, what we would call the paranormal was almost normal in his life. It happened so often. So paranormal, you know, depends on where you're coming from. From a secular point of view, it often just means something anomalous or outside of the, the normal. From a Catholic Christian point of view, um, it would include things that we consider are given by God and therefore not something to puzzle over necessarily that he can give us gifts that go beyond what we normally have. Uh, it would probably include um, things that are often demonically inspired. And uh, 
Again, I've had encounters with that, all kinds. So I've written a couple of books about that, not about my encounters, but about what the church teaches. Um, and then there are other things that, you know, as a, as a Catholic Christian, I would say, well, you have to be open to. Maybe it is something we just haven't fully understood. I mean, the whole thing with remote viewing, you know, a lot of folks just dismiss that as they do UAP as, as all demonic. But um, the kind of thing that, that some of the saints have done that people in that parish, that church I was in, uh, before have done after prayer, being able to see things at a distance, know things inside of people's hearts. Um, you can call that paranormal if you want to. But uh, some people would say ghosts and spirit, you know, ghosts are part of the paranormal. Okay, if you want to include that. But again, for, for a Christian, um, we, you know, we're convinced uh, that the, the soul does survive after death, that the body goes into the grave, the soul survives. One day there'll be a resurrection. We receive our bodies back again. Um, but that in the meantime, that departed, that human spirit that is no longer connected to its earthly body is what we would call a ghost. And that's all through our traditions and the scriptures and um, all kinds of stories of the saints where they, they encounter people who have died because God gave them a reason to come back for some reason to, to interact with the living. So none of that is, you know, once... Once I came to the place of, of firm Catholic faith, so much of what we consider paranormal was not uh, unbelievable to me. And and again, I'll I'll state I've said this many times on the podcast, and it's not a cop out, but I'm not religious in the slightest, so I've got a very very broad genetic view of of religions and you know what I kind of pick up here and there. And I've always said each to their own. There's there's none of them I particularly believe. I've probably got a view that you hear quite often that I imagine is probably in some way wrong, but that most religions are based on something that's a, has a basis thousands of years ago. So they're all very much variations of a theme. Um, I get all religions have their, their own deities, but some of them overlap and various gods and prophets overlap across religions. But I think generally there's a lot of patterns I can see that, that makes sense that regardless what religion you believe in, <clears throat> sorry, or if you even include your, your faith in the UFO topic or what you believe in UFOs, the idea that we are connected in some way, that what a soul is, where, where you go when you die, are you part of a greater consciousness? Is this an experience you have? And it still, it still just seems like a variation on a theme and that UFOs in a way is just a whole other religion itself. Can you talk on that? Where am I right? Where am I wrong? Yeah. Well, it's, um, where do I start? I've, I think in one way, one reason that what we would normally call religion, uh, why they have, you see themes and you see patterns, is that the ultimately they're all pretty much asking asking the same questions. And their their faith, their religion, uh, gives an answer to those questions. So some of the questions would be, you know, how did, how did the universe come to be? How did we come to be? And how did I come to be? Is there a purpose in life? Um, uh, is there, you know, something beyond matter, energy, and and force, uh, force fields, fields? Um, what, uh, you know, what? How, how do you know right from wrong? Those are all kind of. I used to teach a comparative religion courses in college, and those are the kind of questions that prompt religious uh, answers. And so, um, so I'd agree they're trying to answer the same questions. I would say. If you look at the whole spectrum, though, um, you may have some overlap in experience and certainly in the moral area. Um, but the basic tenets can be really, really different, um, you know, all the way from the Greek pantheon of Greek gods, none of whom are all powerful or all knowing, but more kind of like elevated humans um, 
to the sense that the Christians and, and Jews and Muslims would say there's one one God who created everything out of nothing. Um, that's you know that's really different. Um, you do have, and uh, one of the things I used to point in my course is uh, that, and almost pretty much as far as I know, there may be some I don't know about, although what we call the primal or, or at least the traditional religious uh, religious traditions, the the older forms of them, including the primal religions, which would be original Native American, indigenous African, and that kind of thing, and European, that you do run into um, conviction that evil spirits exist. And that's one of the things that I began to, to see, you know, maybe there is something to this evil spirits that they may dis- disagree, all these religions on God and all kinds of other things. But it's amazing, unless you look at some modern version that's been trying to demythologize, so to speak, um, the traditional versions of all these religions all say, yeah, there's something out there that's malicious, that's not corporeal, that, you know, can come after us. So plenty of overlap in those things. And again, immorality to a, to a lot, of, to a great extent. But the most, most important issues, I think, tend to be different. Um, this, so, for instance, you know, as a Christian, I, um, I would push back some on the idea that's becoming popular in UFO circles, um, that that there's a kind of impersonal consciousness that the universe has arisen from somehow um, and that we are all part of that consciousness. I would say, you know, as a Christian, um, no, I believe that there is a personal God. He's personal. He's rational intellect, he has a free will, he loves, and um, that he alone is self-existent and that everything that is, he created out of nothing. And he created it in love. This is part of what I was talking about in the Soul Foundation Symposium, that he loves us, that we're broken, we need healing, he wants us to be healed. Um, But even when you look at those major things, that still leaves a lot of room for mystery and and other kinds of things, other creatures out there like that. But it is different that that it's not the notion that we're all part of a great consciousness or that um, that the consciousness is part of the universe. It is that that he's a personal God. He's not like you know the force in Star Wars. He's a personal God, loves, thinks, all those things, and he creates out of nothing. So his creation is utterly different from him, and yet he is utterly present to his creation in every way. Um, and because of that, then he's able to do all kinds of things for us, whether it's spiritual gifts that allow us to see things at a distance or to know the future as he, with prophecy. So, yeah, so I don't know if that's, if that's answering your question or not. But. No, no, it does, yeah. And, and like I say, I, I don't think anyone could ever come on the podcast and convert me to a religion. I think mm-hmm. I'm well past that now at 37 years of age, and no one's ever tried, which is wonderful. And like I say, each to their own, um, because I, I know certainly when I go to work and work in an office or entertain anyone on the UFO conversation, it very quickly gets the eye rolls and, you know, tuts and little green men conversation. And I imagine anyone of any faith or religion ends up in those same conversations as well. And that's where I think the UFO or religious conversations can be very similar in a, in a lot of ways as well. Um, a few different ways I could take what you said, Paul. I want to I want to bring it back to this first because I think I'm going to come back to some of the things you mentioned there in, in a short while. I heard you discuss on another podcast, it might have been about a year ago, um, I think it was a year ago, Pints with Aquinas. Yes. Uh, I'll put the link in the description. Um, it was a three-hour conversation, really interesting. Um, it, it goes back and forward between religion and UFOs. I mean, that guy knew what he was talking about, and I'm guessing that was a, a podcast on religion, but you just happened to be discussing your book. So really interesting conversation. Some of it way over my head. Other parts of it really interesting. Um, you mentioned on it, though, Paul, that the UFO topic 
as a civilization was taken very seriously by us humans going back at around 26 centuries. Um, ancient writers, ancient philosophers all entertained it. And it only seems to be when the US government got involved in the 1940s, we're talking Roswell, you know, atomic bombs and whatnot, that it took a turn. And now people look down on or dismiss the topic and there's a real fight to bring that back around. And I wonder, first off, why do you think religion now seems to be something that's so powerful worldwide still, as it has been through the centuries, has never had such a knock like that, yet the UFO topic seemed to go the other way so quickly? Well, I mean, you know, a couple of things. Um, and, and that is the, more than half of the, the book, the first part, is about what I call the history of the conversation. So starting with the ancient Greeks and the Romans uh, before the Christian uh, era, we um, you already had folks talking about these things seriously. And then the, the early church fathers, we call them the, the great writers and thinkers of the, the first few centuries of the church, most of them were very well versed in the Roman and Greek philosophers. And so the questions kind of came to them. And um, so it is important, yes, to affirm that this conversation was taken very seriously. If I say in the introduction of my book, if you, you know, if you want to give me a, a tinfoil hat, we could have to give it to a lot of other people too. everybody from Plato to Aristotle, to Aquinas and Augustine and Benjamin Franklin and on and on, you know, Thomas Paine. Um, so, but if you look at it, and you, and you can see in the book, the conversation is very lively all the way through the Middle Ages, all the way through the Renaissance, into the modern era, into the 19th century, the 1800s. And um, and then finally, kind of around, you know, 1950 with Sputnik, the beginning of the space age, you had, especially among Catholic theologians, a lot of talk about it because a lot of people were thinking you know, about the skies. Um but it was soon after that, you know, within the next generation of theologians, but not just theologians, scientists as well, no one would talk about it. And, you know, we have the documents that have been brought brought out because of the, the FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, um, demonstrating that the intelligence community and Department of Defense, it was part of their intention to uh, subject the subject to ridicule, to work with their what shall I say? I won't say plants, but um, the folk who, folks in the legacy media who will cooperate with them to turn this into a subject of mockery. And they, even though they couldn't keep it a secret, there have been plenty of whistleblowers, you know, most of, but most of them were dismissed. That's what they were able to do is to, to make them look foolish. So that seems to be what happened that um, with theologians as well as with scientists, that they mostly wanted to stop talking about it. And, um, and, that's, and that's such a shame. It means that we talk about anomalous phenomena, phenomena. Well, we are the anomaly. Our generation is the anomaly. Historically, the norm was to talk about this subject very seriously and take different positions. Our generation has been the anomaly, and it's time we get back to taking it seriously. Why do you think so many folks worldwide, and I, I would say generally there's a far bigger audience that is more comfortable having a conversation about gods regardless of your religion and prophets uh stories from the bible the quran various different religious texts are far more comfortable with those conversations and there's far less ridicule than there is about the ufo topic why do you think that is because again as somebody who isn't religious you know i i look and go and and i'm not don't mean to downplay this but you know man in the sky up in the clouds where god isn't in the clouds i get that but you know mythical being up there creates the earth in seven days however you want to play that noah's ark all these all these stories that people take so literally 
And then you've got the UFO topic topic where you just have to look at it and go, for someone like me, trying to have that conversation with someone else, why couldn't something have evolved ever so slightly before us? And it's a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand years more advanced than us, if not more. And it's came here from someplace else. It's been here before, etc. Insert your own, you know, ending. I don't see why the conversations are so different, yet they still seem to be. Yeah, that's a good question. I, th- I, mean, I think there's several things. Um, one is that because I've you know often thought the same thing. Look, our the the kind of classical Christian imagination, Catholic and otherwise, has has room for all this stuff because we've got room for God, for angels and demons, and um, you know, so-called paranormal phenomena that we understand is, is something from God um, that, you know, where it happens unless it's demonic. But um, so why is that? And the answer I've come to is that, um, where do I start? First of all, uh, there are a lot of folks who believe that if something's not in Scripture, clearly in Scripture, that it, it can't be true, you know, um, can't be real. And of course, that's you know, easily responded to. I'll say, well, look, the scripture doesn't talk about dinosaurs or duckbill platypi or microbes or molecules, but we know they exist. So it's not intended to be an exhaustive encyclopedia of, of everything that exists. Um, the, the, the thing I'm finding is that uh, there's there's a lot of, I just have to use the word ignorance. I don't mean it in a bad way. It just means lack of knowledge, lack of understanding <clears throat> about the Christian tradition itself. Um People are totally surprised when they find out that very well-respected figures in the Christian, especially Catholic tradition for centuries, have talked about this seriously. And, and some of them even posited, yes, there's intelligent life. And if not that, they're at least open about it. Um, they don't seem to understand that's part of our tradition. That's somehow been eclipsed, in part because of you know the modern intellectual movement, beginning with the Enlightenment, <clears throat> away from... Uh, from anything considered supernatural to it has to be scientific. So that the, I guess the, ch- the church Christians have been as almost as much affected in certain ways by the culture of scientism, that if science can't explain something, it doesn't exist <clears throat> as, as others have. And, and that's a shame because again, their religion should push back against that. That um, one of my hopes is that in this conversation, as more and more people who've kind of believed only in what science can show them, begin to realize looking at this topic, there are things out there that can't be measured that science doesn't seem to have a hold on that we can say, that's right. Let's talk about that because that's, that's part of what, what we understand about the world. Um, don't know if I'm answering your question, but I do think, yeah, part of it was that there was not in scripture. The other, and it's a very human thing I find uh, <clears throat> is that for a lot of people, if something they don't understand something and they don't like it, it's makes them uncomfortable then they, they just write it off as demons or, in some cases, mm-hmm. government psyops. Um, there's not a lot of depth in thinking in that regard. It's kind of a reaction. I understand it. I mean, it's, not everybody has time to, to you know read my book with 400 pages and 550 footnotes, but um, but it's lamentable, I think, to um, – I mean, it's the same – like you said, it's the same kind of reaction you get sometimes by scientists. They don't understand it what they know science doesn't account for it. So they have to write it off as something they do understand. Hallucination, mental illness, aerial phenomena of, you know, of a prosaic nature. And I think religious people tend to sometimes do the same thing. They don't understand it, makes them uncomfortable. It's outside the box. 
well, how can I give it a, a cause that does fit into my religion? Well, demons, it's, it's an easy help. I think the, the big thing that is missing for me, and again, just for anyone listening to this who might think otherwise, Paul's, you, you've written a book here for the UFO topic, you know, for how it has its place in Catholic faith, how how they can mirror, how they can merge and answers and talks about some of those questions. And that's the way you're coming at this, which is great. It's not me having a guest on and arguing with them, you know, about their, their viewpoint compared to mine. Uh, but I'm giving you some of my frustrations and I'm, I'm sure those are echoed by other folks out there as well Ev- evidence is always thrown at folks when we talk about the ufo topic um where's the evidence what's the evidence and you can show folks any number of videos um they're dismissed as x y or z you can talk about your own experiences um and then any number of sightings reportings and like you say when it comes to religion it seems very much that the evidence, like you say, is in scripture. So if it's not in this book or written down, then it never happened. A lot of folks, however, tend to say that there's quite a lot across various religions that do or does reference the UFO topic. And I wonder, can you talk a little bit about that? What are some of the main, and it's you mentioned it in the book, but what are some of the key figures or prominent members of the Catholic faith over the centuries who have had some kind of either experience or talked about the UFO topic? The um, I guess the, the kind of the basic thing we have to see here is that uh, early Christians up until the Middle Ages were uh, deeply influenced by the, the philosophy of the ancient Greeks, Plato first and then Aristotle by way of St. Thomas Aquinas. And <clears throat> Aristotle's view of the cosmos in particular did not allow for anything like this in the sense that uh, taught that this, the earth was the center of the universe and then the kind of the realm that was concentric circles in the moon, the sun, the stars, um, and did not even conceive of a kind of, uh, of any kind of rocky balls like our planet that could actually have uh, you know, creatures on them. The moon was the exception. I think even Aristotle may have briefly um, considered the possibility that there could be life on the moon. Um, the closest they got to it was this notion that um, that the stars – were actually animated creatures. They had souls. And so the soul moved what we saw physically of the star around the heavens. So in that sense, I mean, that's basically a form of extraterrestrial intelligence uh, that they did allow for. But for the most part, they didn't have a notion. But they knew of the planets in the sky, but the whole the word planet in Greek means wanderer. They just thought that they were stars that weren't moving around the sky with the rest of the stars. Um, so all that's to say that it took a while <clears throat> for uh, – it wasn't really until the time of Copernicus. Um, he comes along and and then with Galileo and others begins to demonstrate, you know, we're really not the center of everything. And you get Christians waking up and saying, well, you know what? That never was part of our religion, really. It's not in the Bible. It's not. <laughs> it comes from this pre-Christian philosophy. We, we can give that up uh, and still account for all these things. And um, but it, so at that time, then you begin to have uh, people like Nicholas of Cusa. He was uh, um a really big, big figure of the, the 16th century church. He um, not only was a cardinal, but he was a papal legate, a, a papal advisor, uh, was a part of the ecumenical council, great council of Basel. Um, and he wrote openly about this and about how he thought uh, there probably is intelligent life. He speculated about what kinds of other planets other out there. Um, later on, you get uh, people like a, a highly respected Catholic visionary, Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, uh, 
German, uh, who in her vision sees intelligent life out there. Uh, <clears throat> you get people like Padre Pio, St. Pio Petrocino. I think I mentioned him before. He's, his life overlapped mine. And, um, and he was given to all kinds of visionary things and healing miracles and uh, what Catholics call bilocation, where his body would be in one place and his soul in the other. And we have, again, it's not legendary. It's the same time as my lifetime overlapping. Uh, plenty of documentation of that. But he in particular uh, once was asked in an interview, what do you think about aliens? And he said, he was just like he always was, very direct. What? You think God didn't create any other creatures like us? You think we're the only ones that give glory to God? And he actually said that uh, that there were creatures on other planets who had not fallen, who had not you know, been morally broken the way we are. So you get folks like that. You get uh, St. John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, who once was uh, asked publicly by a girl in an audience at a, a parish in Rome, what about, what about aliens? And he didn't say, oh, that's contrary to the Catholic faith. He didn't say, we don't know. He didn't say any of that kind of stuff. He said very affirmatively, always remember they are God's children too. So that's you know powerful to me. But even if you go back, so that's that's the more modern stuff. But even if you go back to before those times, what you do get are affirmations of the possibility or even affirmations of the existence of other kinds of non-human intelligence besides angels. Um, you get that in St. Augustine, you know, one of the greatest theologians the church ever had. Um, you get it in St. Jerome, who was considered the father of biblical scholarship, both in the fourth century. And they talked about some of the, the Greek philosophical, I mean, not philosophical, Greek mythological figures as if they were real creatures of some kind that we didn't know fully about, um, but that they were they were not angels and they were not humans. And um, St. Jerome in particular makes, makes it really clear. I'm not just repeating the story that I heard. This is, you know, things happen in just a short time ago where one of these things was captured and brought before the emperor. Um, so all that to say there, you've got all kinds of figures like that. Uh, you've got plenty of uh, Christians more recently, like, you know, since the 20th century that have openly talked about it and, and affirmed at least the possibility. But so part of that was just to, and what I'd love to help other Christians do is to say, you know, we need to recover these aspects of our own tradition that do allow for this and some that even affirm it. Um, and the the kind of characters that Jerome and Augustine talked about are what we might now call ultra-terrestrial, you know, something else that shares the planet with us that's been here a long time. Um, so even though they weren't talking about ETI, extraterrestrial, because they didn't have a notion of planets out there, um, Augustine was open to the idea, Aqu Aquinas was open to the idea of the stars being animated. But then even the early guys were saying, yeah, I think there are other things besides humans and angels right here on planet Earth and have been. And I think it's important for us to, to realize that um, this is a big the phenomena. We, we tend to lump it all together, but I think it's a bunch of things. Uh, mm. I think it's probably almost certainly some of it's extraterrestrial, but I think some of it may be ultra terrestrial. Some of it could be angelic. I do think some of it's demonic. And the people who criticize my work most from within the church are ones who say it's all demonic and you know, I don't think you can make that absolute claim at all. A lot of the things just don't fit the profile. I know the profile of demonic, diabolical possession in other cases, and most of it doesn't fit that. Maybe some of the abduction scenarios do, but so I can see it overlap. But anyway, it's it's just not all the same thing. I don't think at all. I, I'm I'm a bit scared of um, 
demonic stuff, ghost <coughs> stuff. I said, oh, God, that sounds so professional, don't I? Demonic stuff and ghost stuff. Um, they've always scared me since being a kid. I've never liked, even like horror movies, I wish I liked horror movies mm-hmm. and supernatural films. I struggle to watch them without jumping constantly. But I did <clears throat> take myself recently to see the new Exorcist movie. Mm-hmm. And again, there's a, a an exorcism performed, the, the idea of two young children being possessed. I, I find all that really scary and just the idea that these things happen. They have happened within the churches and the Vatican's involvement or non-involvement and whatnot. And some of these these stories is, is kind of fascinating and scary. But like you say, sometimes you look at that. And as I watched that movie, just for that moment, I thought oh, the UFO lens and is that really related to what's happening here? It just seems such a stretch. But like you say, it's all it's, it's all still labels being put on on something we don't fully understand mm-hmm. or maybe we did understand better some time ago and understand less now or we just don't entertain the notion especially in the western world i think there are parts of society and parts of the world that still have a far greater spiritual connection to whatever may have come before us or maybe mm-hmm. interacting with us um but i wonder you mentioned those labels angels demons angelic demonic are is the problem that they're just being labeled and almost the commercial idea we have of these things now when someone says angel you think robed figure long hair wings on their back and then demon is you know dave Grohl in the tenacious d video big horns all red you know devil like is that the problem that we think of them too boxed in well you know one thing about the catholic faith is that they're what they can what they believe that they can define what's been revealed by god uh they're very careful to define and then they leave open a lot of stuff for mystery and um so obviously there's still a lot to understand about angels, both the good ones and the fallen ones, the demons. Um, but, but the Catholic understanding, and I you know, fully agree, is that they were a, a race. They are an intelligent race, also created by God, created good um, before the human race was created, and that some of them turned against God in rebellion and then became corrupted in their, you know, their mind and will. And, um, and that they are, still allowed to roam and they come on earth and they, they hate us because we're sons and daughters of God. We're in the image of God and they want to deface us. They want to uh, bring us to hell with themselves. And so, um, so it's, you know, in, in the Catholic tradition, anyway, it's very clear what they are. There's, you know, we know they had a beginning. Uh, we know that uh, you have good ones and ones that have fallen. We know that they have, that they're non-corporeal. They don't move through space. They don't have bodies the way we do the pure spirit. Uh, we know that they, know a whole lot more than we do. They've got gifts and powers beyond us. We know that um, uh, that they do get involved in things on earth. But we also know, and this is part of our faith, that one of the things that Jesus Christ came to do was to conquer that. He has authority as, as God in the flesh. He has authority over them. And that's one of the things, you know, in the Catholic tradition, when you begin to bump up of these things, that you can... You can make use of that, you know, to, to find out whether something is demonic or not. If you um, if you have an experience like that, you can, I mean, I've, again, I've been involved in exorcisms. I've been consulted in cases of diabolical possession. And um, and the, the sacraments of the church, the sacramentals and rituals of the church, the name of Jesus, scripture, if they're truly demonic, they respond to that. And they have to submit to the authority. It may take a while if they resist, but I know this sounds crazy to a lot of your listeners, but it's true. Believe me, I've seen this stuff physically myself. I mean, personally myself. Um, so you can discern that. And and what you find is in the history of exorcism, even 
Then you have people who report things that kind of look demonic. They're not really malicious, but kind of poltergeist stuff. And so the church is brought in um, to make the things submit and, and leave in the name of Jesus. And they don't, they don't respond at all. And they don't seem to respond in any of the ways that demons do. And they seem to be more prankster than destructive. And that's one reason, it's, you know, I wrote about that in my book too. That's one of the reasons why I think you can see that St. Augustine talked about. It. Uh, you can see that as possible evidence that there are on earth other creatures also with free will and intellect who may may or may not be fallen as we are, but that they're not demons. If they were demons, then we, we have experience with demons. We know what to do with them if you have the authority. Is that making sense? So. No, yeah, it does. And, and even the earlier part of what you were saying, though, when, when you say, you know, there is a God and he is, and that's capital H, he, I think there's a lot of like Tom DeLong again, God, this makes me sound younger than I am probably, <laughs> but what Tom DeLong says, and, and you're, you're familiar with Tom DeLong, sure. I take mm -hmm. it, and yeah, what he said, yeah, I'm just assuming. Um, but when he's talked about there's a battle for our souls and there are entities that are jealous that we have free will that you know we are here and some of these entities or intelligences want to see us prosper some are just kind of nonplussed and others want to see us kind of be negative they live off a of fear and a lot of that sounds very similar to what you were mm -hmm. saying previously and that's where I, I look at so much of those stories um as i view them overlap because it is just if you just change the odd word here and there then you're looking at a phenomenon. Take take a label off instead of angel or demon. Say say grey. Say you know, God. I don't want to say mantis being. I think yeah, that's another conversation for another day. Um, but you know, a non-human intelligence. You know, it, it substitutes in, doesn't it? Well, in the sense that people have with similar experiences, you know, have different names for different understandings of what they are. And again, uh, you know, from the Catholic tradition, I would say that whatever else there might be out there that we would affirm that there are angels created before us, created good. Some of them fell, they're demonic. And then that kind of battle for our souls, as Tom would describe it, is going on specifically with them. Um, but we wouldn't, I don't know that we would say that, and that's equivalent to X, Y, or Z. Um, maybe something different. Maybe in some cases, the religious traditions, like I mentioned before about all the older traditions talk about evil spirits. So they're, uh, seem to be speaking out of experience. So if the experience is similar, then of course they're going to talk about it and they'll have different names for it and different understandings. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so to that, to that extent, sure. I think there's a common experience of, of certain things across religions. Um, and from the Catholic you know, point of view, I'd say, and, and at least some of them we, we can define, but there's room for a lot of mystery. Oh, there's a, a lot of wiggle room in this, and this is a, <laughs> something I'm going to mention, Paul. This isn't something I want you to answer because you you couldn't. Um, no one could. This is just where my brain goes when you're saying what you're saying, okay? For listeners who wonder what I struggle with inside with some of these conversations, you know, when, when someone like yourself talks about exorcism, demonic possession, which I believe does happen um, as much as I, I hate watching movies about it, you then think of the UFO topic and if we've got beings coming here from somewhere else, whatever that may look like, you start to get into the realms of if if indeed both of those things are true, then how does that work? Could a could another being that wasn't us be possessed by something demonic? And, you know, 
my head just goes to really strange places with that kind of stuff and it's a conversation for a whole other time if it could even be had paul um i want to keep it a little bit more grounded still if i can and and a belief i had when i started the podcast i think is very very base amongst many people is that if we got confirmation tomorrow uh the old capital d disclosure we have an alien race visiting us we have crashed craft crashed bodies recovered etc etc that worldwide religions would collapse and it would lead to chaos and i think when i speak to friends family general public you know on the topic that still comes up quite early on in the conversation that's something the more folks i've spoken to of various different religions and faiths more and more have came away from that whole idea because the religious minded folks seem to be the most accepting of this is that is that fair for the most part, yeah. And so, for instance, the Vatican, you know, you talk to I mean, the Vatican's a big thing. So you talk to individuals, but certainly folks um, like the Vatican astronomers, you know, at the the uh, observatories that they have are, are open to talking about these things. And um, in many ways, you know, even folks like Ross Gothard has said he's, he's found Catholic figures to be probably the most open to all of this. So I, um, I think that's true for a lot of folks. You do have... Um, segments though of religious populations that again are reacting to the whole thing is uncomfortable i don't like it i don't understand it so it's all demons so i mean i'm already you know experiencing that a lot i'll get a pushback from certain kinds of christians and among um, them catholics who just it's all demons you're leading people to hell by even saying this is possible that kind of thing and they will have a hard time um you know if, if that comes although they already kind of have some of them a fallback position that, okay, even if the government comes out and discloses, it's all a red flag. It's all, a, I mean, a, a false flag operation. It's um, it's government psyops. They've worked out this entire mythology, modern mythology of hell. So what will happen is the government will come out, say it's real, it's a threat. So we need to unite with other governments of the world and have a one-world government in order to fight the threat. And then that's going to set things up for Antichrist to come, you know, possess the world. So uh, they've already kind of worked that out. You have all these fallback positions. Well, even if the government says that, okay, well, what if, you know, the, we see them flying over the White House or wherever, doesn't have to be the wise, it could be the Kremlin, it could be all kinds of places. They say, oh no, that's, um, what is it, Project Bluebeam or something like that. That's all holograms. They figured out all these ways, just like folks who, you know, don't believe in the moon landing or that the earth is flat. They've got all these fallback positions until finally you get to a place where the statements they're making are non-falsifiable. What are you going to say, you know, to, to falsify it? Cause they'll always have something else. Mm. Um, so what I'm saying is within the community, I think there'll play plenty of religious people. The surveys that have been done by sociologists all seem to point in that way that the most of the folks will be fine, but the ones that have already decided and with what a Catholic theology, moral theology would call a rash judgment without having all the facts um, that have already decided it's all demonic. They'll have a hard time. I wonder how does someone like yourself argue or help the the argument that within the US government there are individuals, organisations who are very religious and given their beliefs this is entirely demonic. That's why they are very much against this coming out. They want to keep it secret and they, they very much believe, you know, Old Testament type stuff. Uh, how do you try and rationalise that conversation for these folks to say that, how do we move it forward? Let me just leave it there. Well, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book um, to be able to say, okay, to understand that, you know, reacting, it's all demonic, all that kind of, cause you don't understand it. And it's, uh, and some of it feels threatening. 
let's go back and recover elements of the Christian tradition that you may not be aware of so that you see that this is not something people have feared for 2,000 years as Christians, but that they've talked about rashly and, and openly in some disagreements, um, but that it's only been since the 40s and 50s when the government started getting involved that, that we developed this attitude of, of fear and, and all that kind of thing. You um, Trying to help them to see, um, and this is part of what my talk at you know, Soul, the Soul Symposium was, help them to see that it it, it really doesn't, overthrow their, their their faith as it stands. It's It would lead to lots of questions, and you'd have to imagine more things than maybe you've ever imagined before. But the foundations are, are still secure. Can, we can account for this the same way we accounted for the Copernican Revolution, because um, it wasn't, that change wasn't really part of the faith, but it did open up all kinds of, of new possibilities. The problem is most of the folks I know who react that way aren't willing to read a book like the one I have. I've you know, corresponded with some of them that I know personally, and, you know, they'll say, no, I'm not going to read the book. I'm not even going to talk to you. I'm, I'm 100% convinced of this. You know, what you're doing is you're leading people to demons, that kind of stuff. I don't even want to talk about it. And uh, so I'm not sure how to help those people except to pray for them. But, uh, but for ones who are willing to say, okay, let me at least see another side to this. Um, I'd say read my book or <laughs> read just read history. I won't pray for them. I'll judge them silently from afar <laughs> and and make passive aggressive comments on social media. Um, but yeah, whatever works for folks, I'm sure it all has the same effect. Um, Paul, you mentioned your talk at the Soul Foundation uh, event. Let's talk about that. That was, God, going back to the middle of November now. We're recording this right at the end of December, folks. Um, how was that experience for you? I'm very much hoping to be at the next one, not as a speaker, for the love of God, they would never have that, um, unless they go right downhill, Gary Nolan and, and Peter Scavish. But um, I'd love to be there as part of that kind of audience. But yeah, tell us about the experience in your talk. Oh, Andy was wonderful. Um, first of all, I, I felt very uh, honored to be there. You know, you mentioned all those great, well-known speakers, and here I am being asked to say, nobody knows me. What's you know? But uh, it's, it says a lot about Peter and, and Gary, you know, who are organizing it, that they... Paul, let, let, let me say, Paul, and I, I never interrupt, but that was my point I made earlier, that I, I think I said that in the introduction, it had names that we know, and also names that we don't yet know. And I think that's the point. This isn't, you know, awakening or contact in the desert, which is look at all these names and buy tickets to see them. Not that that's a bad thing, but this was an event for religious folks, academic folks, scientifically minded folks, military folks, you know, to get together and have a conversation from different aspects of it. And it didn't matter if you were, you'd sold one book or never written a book, but your talk was relevant, had a purpose, or if you're at the top of the food chain and you literally had locked the hangar door to the saucers, you know, <laughs> it seemed that that was the point of it. And that's what I love the idea about it. So sorry to interrupt, but that's why I think it was great. Folks like yourself were there because it's very much needed as part of this conversation. Well, you know, Peter and Gary, again, we're, um, I mean, you, you can read the mission statement of Seoul and they want to bring together kind of serious academics, but also policy advisors and all kinds of folks um, to, to talk about it in a serious way. And um, and they recognize that, especially if part of what they want to do is kind of help prepare the world for the a possible disclosure. Um, if you're going to help people prepare for that, the religious communities are a big part of that. I mean, Catholics alone are, are an estimated 1.3 billion uh, people on the planet. Um, and so they recognize that we've got to have theologians at the table. That's something Lou Elizondo has said repeatedly, said it to me. 
um, as well. But he said it publicly that if you're going to have people discussing this, you, you've got to have folks involved in that in some way too. So that um, that really reflects reflects their their breadth of vision that they would invite me. They you know had Jeff Kripal, you've already had on um, Dinah Pasolka, others to, to talk about religion, but other kinds of things uh, feels and. Um, and that they would also invite me because other folks from this you know position kind of I don't sign into on to any of these beliefs or to any particular religion and kind of taking a distance which is fine, um, but that they knew from my book what what I wanted to do and that was say okay um, if we're concerned about uh, helping people to accommodate this within the parameters of traditional faith um, what would it be like to have one person do it for a particular faith how about pretty much the largest organizational um, you know, religious organization in the world. And, um, and so they invited me and they knew that things, some of the things I was saying were going to be different from what some of the other speakers touching on religion would be, but that was fine. And um, so just kudos to them for even thinking of it, going to all the trouble to do it. When I got there, um, our, things started on Friday morning, it was Friday and Saturday, Thursday evening, though they had a uh, speakers and some other people invited to a just wine reception and immediately, I just felt at home, as to put it. Uh, all these folks were there coming at it from different directions, but you had the sense, number one, um, there was a sense of kind of solidarity there and um, that we've we've all got this intense interest. And number two, that we're all seeking the truth, you know, that there really is some kind of truth to this and um, each of us is coming at it from our own direction. But uh, the other thing is that you could have a, a conversation about these matters without worrying, is the other person going to think I need a tinfoil hat? Because they're all coming you know, from, and each one of them, you know, they have their own experiences of how they've been rejected by friends or people have read their stuff or, or whatever. Um, but they were, they were open-minded. They were uh, friendly. They were uh, since even more than solidarity, maybe a sense of camaraderie that was there. Mm. I enjoyed it thoroughly. And not only were the talks just amazing, but the, um, as you might expect, the conversations outside of the talks, not just among the speakers, but others attendees. And um, so, you know, sitting down, sitting down, having dinner with or a table with folks I've heard about all my life, not all my life, but all, all my interest in UFO. Um, and just hear them tell kind of stories behind the scenes about their experiences. And it was wonderful. It's just wonderful. And I met people. The other good thing about the conference uh, that has been talked about much is that, um, at that dinner table, one of the persons there had been um, one of those who helped choose out of all the many people who applied who would come. And mm. um, and that there was they intentionally wanted the, the attendees to have very different you know, backgrounds and interests, yep. diversity there. And that made for a really interesting audience and for conversations outside. So, I, you know, the first my first lunch, I sat down and. Someone sits down next to me and says, can we talk? I said, I'd love to talk. Introduce it. He's from Tokyo, and he'd flown in from Tokyo to do this. Had a great interest in this, but he wasn't professionally in any, anything connected with it. But then he read some of my books on demonology and wanted me to autograph them. And um, and that was just the beginning. So many different people, interesting, all there because they have an interest in it. So I, I just really appreciate the the folks with the symposium wanting to to have that kind of diversity in the audience as well as in the speakers. But I learned so much. Yeah. Oh, I learned so much. Oh, my goodness. 
I love that you see the the diversity in the in the conversation. Um, I spoke to someone a while back who was organising an event, and they they told me that the event that was coming up, and no slight on them at all from this, they were looking to move into more of a mix of military and you know academic science, religion, and, and very much what Saul was. And when their event was announced last year, it was the same, you know, twelve starseed ascension folks, and I was like. So, yeah, and each to their own. People will listen to this and watch this. You know, thanks for doing that. I really appreciate it. Um, but they'll, they'll, they enjoy that side of the conversation, and that's that's wonderful. There's aspects of it I like. There's some of it I don't like. There's some of it I just don't understand or want to understand enough, depending on my own beliefs in the UFO topic. But I think Saul seemed to really grab that dynamic and that, you know, overall arch of what this topic has to be going forward to really grab the mainstream um i'd say to get your just before we go into listener questions paul the 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 one person this year among any above anyone else even who did grab true worldwide attention and headlines was david grush um i don't think it's even close given what he has done since july when he came out of those hearings um and the ufo conversation it's been huge and that impact I think I, I've based that, and I've said before, Paul, on how far-reaching his comments were because it really hit home in the UK for, albeit a very short candle, it, it, it made an impact here in our news, which is rare. Um, and I wonder, what are your thoughts on, on what David Grush came out and said over the course of those kind of few months? But also, what was the general conversation like, again, from your peers and colleagues who maybe were dismissive of the topic, but then hear David Grush saying what he said? Yeah, first of all, you know, I think, think Dave's a hero, um, very courageous man. I uh, I find him completely credible. Uh, haven't had the pleasure of meeting him yet. I was hoping he would be at the conference. He was only able to, to speak by Zoom. But um, I I do find him credible, and I um, know people well who know him well and who say he's a man of integrity. And to be honest, um, if you've been in this subject, you know, studying it for any time, there's hardly anything that he said. Well, there's a little bit of what he said that was new, but mostly it was just things you, you say, well, yeah, thank you for saying that because we've been saying that for years and are thinking yeah. that's possible for years. So um, he did so much to open up things. He's obviously had some more interviews after all that, and he's beginning to say more. Um, so I just, just I'm very glad he did what he did. I've had people ask me in podcasts and other things, um, you know, what I think about him. Of course, with uh, the one thing he did talk about that maybe I shouldn't even bring it up, but um, was his his claim that uh, that the Vatican knew about a, a crash uh, in 1933 in Medina, Italy, near Milan. Yeah, and then yep. that in 1944, when the uh, Mussolini government was collapsing, that Pope Pius XII was a liaison with the United States government to get it out of there before it got into other hands. Apparently. Um, and, you know, folks will ask me that. And I'll say, well, this obviously from where I am, I, I can't say that for sure, but it really would not surprise me. I, I see it see it as something that's, that's certainly possible. Um, if I put myself in that position, if, if it happened, um, I can imagine being put by the 12th, say, okay, Mussolini government has fallen. Things are chaotic here. Uh, the Germans have been known to be interested in this stuff and they're spiriting things off to, South America, whatever. The Russians are definitely interested in this. They keep advancing. The mafia may even be interested in, in possessing it and selling it to the highest bidder. 
what should I do? You know, not that he was in possession of it, but it would make sense to say, okay, of, of all the possibilities, probably should see if the United States would take it before it gets in the wrong hands. That's just all my speculation. But all that to say, I, th- I think it's certainly possible that folks I've talked to, there were people with whatever was review, uh, revealed several decades ago publicly had problems with that saying, well, it, you know, the, the documentation and stuff is so flimsy and all kinds mm-hmm. of things. Um, and even then I was saying, okay, if that's all we've got, it's probably really dubious. But if Grush actually has access to other materials that the public hasn't had that have convinced him, then that would be a different matter. And I've come come to believe that that is the case, that he has other stuff that, that you know, the public doesn't have access to yet. So all this to say, yes, I think I think it could be. That's that's the only claim that he made that really in the beginning just kind of took me back and said, "Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, tell me about that." Um, I don't know if that's answering your question or not, but that did change the conversation. So, as as far as the believability, that's the other thing you mentioned. The folks who have pushed back saying it's all demons. Um, the second part of that argument is it's all demons or government psyops, and so you have folks their fallback position as well. Um, yeah, he said all that, but he's just part of the government's false flag operation. And how do you argue with that? I mean, you, you can say, okay, you've got hundreds of thousands of these reports all over the world. People have nothing that have nothing to do with the United States government. How can you say that's all government psyops? But um, and then they fall back on the demons' argument. So. Let let me ask you on that. You mentioned obviously um, the Pope who was involved in that potential crash recovery or alleged crash recovery from the thirties, forties um, with Mussolini's government. I can see why the head of a church of one point three, one point four billion people would have a say in that secrecy because that changes a whole conversation for a whole section, if not the the entire planet. I wonder if next week say president a or prime minister b or whoever it may be in charge of a country or a superpower comes out and confirms um here here is here's the body of an alien being that we recovered in a crash recently and here's a crashed craft um it's time to acknowledge this is this is true this is real and there's, there's something here that's not human what do you think immediately happens in terms of you know the catholic church what would the pope come out and say do you think well, I'll start off with what I don't think he would say is, oh, it's all demonic. <laughs> you know, I really don't. Um, yeah, uh, I think, you know, just looking at the history of the Vatican and how they operate, it's always very slowly and it's very carefully. Um, either they would not say anything uh, or um, they might say something like, well, we have to leave all this up to science. Um, or I think there's a possibility they could say, yes, yes, we affirm. But that's true. Um, but the one thing I don't think they would say is it's all demons. What do you think the reaction would be then uh, as someone of, of that faith? What what would your react? Well, your reaction is probably quite obvious given what you're doing now and your involvement in the UFO topic. But what's the average, you know, person of faith's reaction to that? Do you think? Probably there are there are a lot of folks I've met that have said, you know, if that happened tomorrow, it wouldn't disturb me because I've just got to put food on the table and, you know, pay the bills. So for them, you know, a lot of folks, it's just, oh, okay, yeah, I grew up with Star Wars. That's no big deal. Um, for others, it would be, all right, I, you know, know personally of, of someone who was in a position to, uh, who's very faithful Catholic and uh, active in ministry and was in a position to 
witness things that made it really clear there was something going on that was you know, not human. Um, and it threw him into turmoil. So how does my faith account for this? And then turns out he read my book and then got in touch with me and said, thank you for writing it. It's point by point. You answer my questions. I'm at peace now. It's okay. So I think there'd probably be a lot of folks like that who would say, wow, how does this fit into my faith? What, what does this mean now? Um, in which case I'd be saying to a lot of pastors, you, you need to read my book <laughs> so you can answer their questions. Um, but then there would be the others, you know, have just convinced themselves it's all demonic, who would either say it's it's all government psyops, or even if there were bodies, they would say it's some kind of demonic, you know, thing. Um, you know, it's interesting. Back uh, when when the evolution became, you know, something talked about and, and accepted by the scientific community. And there were uh, certain Christians that just fully, you know, resisted that for various reasons. And the Catholic Church is, allows for that. It's no problem. But um, when they began to discover, archaeologists began to dig and discover dinosaur skeletons and things like that, then people would say, okay, this, you know, this does show things are very old. The earth is very old and this is back there. You actually had some some Christians, I don't know if they're any Catholics or not, but um, who said, um no, actually, those were created by demons and put in the earth so that it would trip our, our faith. I could imagine some people having a similar kind of reaction now that, oh, you've got a body. Well, okay, some demon created that uh, in order to, to knock out our faith. And at some point, you just have to say, you know, guys, how far are you going to go to, you know, to try to hold that position? This, this, it's okay. Let's talk about it. Well, Paul, we'll move into listener questions. I'll say for our folks listening on the audio platforms, that's the end of part one. Unless you're on the paid feeds, you get it all in one go. <laughs> Little bonus perk for you. Um, but Paul, the book Extraterrestrial Intelligence and the Catholic Faith, Are We Alone in the Universe with God and the Angels? has been available for some time. Um, is it Amazon the best place to get it for folks? Or if you've got a preference, I always like to ask. Yeah. Well, you know, it is with Amazon. I mean, it's the easiest way to get it, but the, Amazon gets, gets most of the, <laughs> most of the income, but uh, you can get it from tanbooks.com, T-A-N-B-O-O-K-S.com. That's the, the publisher. That's my preferred place, but uh, that might not be, you know, if you're not in the United States, Amazon's probably easier, but yeah, you can get it from Amazon as well. I always like to ask that after one, I can't remember who it was, but I guessed way back, mentioned that they weren't a big fan of Amazon and well they appreciated you know it was the easiest place like you say for folks to get it and support local bookstores and small book and yeah I was like yeah absolutely so I always like to to ask now Um, and I'll ask just to finish off before we move into listener questions Paul someone picks up a copy of the book reads it what do you want them to take away from it? Wow yeah uh, I want them to take away from it that all right first of all if they're Christian Catholic or any other form of Christian um to be able to look at this topic and say, you know, if if there is a disclosure, public disclosure of this, it doesn't have to overturn my faith. Uh, my faith can accommodate it. It has certain things like that in the past. There's room for it. There's still plenty of mystery. We have a lot of questions to answer. Um, but that God is God. That's why I don't refer to any references to beings or entities. I always say creatures because that reminds us that they have a creator. It's God. And he created it and he has a purpose for them too. So to put it in that, so, so kind of, don't panic, <laughs> you know, just uh, relax that. But also um, for at least a couple of centuries now, it started with people like Thomas Paine, who was the, you know, the Englishman who wrote uh, pamphlets in support of the American Revolution. 
Maybe some folks think he was a traitor in the UK. I don't know. But anyway, he was widely read. He wrote a book called The Age of Reason. And um, he wrote extensively on this subject. He believed in ETI and um, made ex extensive claims that it would destroy the Christian faith once we discovered it. And he's not the only one to say that. And so to those folks, I would say, um, no, I don't, don't think so. Uh, people may panic, people who don't understand their faith, people who don't have all the access to the traditions uh, of their faith that are there might panic. But if, if they take a deep breath and you know read this book or read other things similar, um, it's not going to destroy their faith. It doesn't. So that that would be the biggest thing. And and then for other people just reading over their shoulders that um, I'm hoping that as people start when involved in this have questions about consciousness, you know, that's a big topic these days. And along with that, survival after death, post-mortem survival. I would say, you know, within within the Western tradition for over 2,000 years, um, you've, you've had an affirmation of what we, this kind of cosmic consciousness you're talking about, where the world came from. And for 2,000 years, uh, an affirmation that, yes, the, the soul survives the body and there'll be a resurrection and then there's heaven and there's a hell. Um, I, I would encourage you not just to rule that out, uh, as if you somehow gotten past that, but to take another serious look at it. People are seriously looking at Hindu and Buddhist, other Eastern traditions uh, to try to understand this. Uh, don't rule this out. It's, um, you know, I found it convincing and I think others could too. Oh, thank you, Paul. We're going to go straight into listener questions in just a moment. If you've checked out part one, make sure you listen to part two. If you're not on any of the paid feeds, it will be out in a couple of days' time. Um, a lot of really interesting questions to come up. Stuff I've not touched on that folks might have wanted me to is going to come in here. And that way I can blame them for some of the awkward <laughs> questions I'm going to have to ask you, Paul. Um, but thank you very much if you've listened to part one and look forward to seeing you all in part two. That is all for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. Apple and Spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm. If you're checking the show on YouTube, please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well. Any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform. And finally, you can listen to shows ad-free and sponsor-free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on Apple, Spotify, just search That UFO Podcast Premium. YouTube, you can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com. Thank you very much for listening, folks. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit.
Chad and Shay and that thing over there. And-